Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. It is Tuesday, the 8th of March, 2022. We spent much of the first hour talking about um, concerns related to Ukraine. We're going to touch on some additional concerns during this hour. But if you um, if you missed the conversation about refugees, if you missed the conversation with Abigail Rist, um, who grew up in Ukraine as the daughter of missionaries and has lots of friends there, um, please go and listen later to the first hour of today's program. You're going to be able to do so at MyFaithRadio.com or via the Faith Radio app. Um, thanks to those of you who gave a shout out to the app in the first hour. We have a friend who listened in Switzerland when she was when she was there and said the app was uh, worked just great. We have a friend listening right now in Ohio via the Faith Radio app and others um, as well. So there you go. It's a great way to extend this ministry to more and more people. If you um, appreciate what we're doing here and you've got somebody who you think might appreciate, might appreciate it as well, um, please share it. Like, right, that's, um, that's how you can, uh, well, find somebody to talk with, frankly, about what you hear. Uh, I met two ladies on Saturday. They both listen to the program and then when they get to work, they talk about it. I think that's kind of cool. All right, I want to um, touch just for a moment here on what I'm going to call the language arts lesson of the day. Language arts. So you are going to, if you're paying attention, see and hear words used related to events in Ukraine, um, words that are spiritual in nature and are designed to provoke you spiritually. So I want you to be sensitive to that. I want you to recognize that communicators, me included, we use words intentionally. We use words because words have power, and we use words that we know are going to provoke the kind of response that, um, that we're looking for. Yeah, that's what effective communicators do. And so when you think about the words that people are using, every once in a while, particularly if you, hear your, if you feel your spirit pricked, if you feel the heat rise, um, if you feel uh, compassion well up, I want you to not just concern yourself with the images, because obviously the images that people choose to pass along do the same thing. Pictures being worth a thousand words and video, probably a million words. But pay attention to the words as well. You're going to see and hear words related to the forces of darkness and the forces of light, or just light and darkness, good guys and bad guys. I saw uh, these phrases this morning in articles that I read. Um, the need for deliverance. Deliverance will come. And again, I'm not reading the whole sentence. I'm just using the words here that I see that are chosen to provoke a spiritual response. The language of salvation. Saving. Casting one character as the Antichrist. Casting a character as evil incarnate talking about particular individuals as animals, 
references to World War III or the end times. All of those are actually chosen because of their power. I want you to think about the word as having power. God's word has tremendous power. God's word always accomplishes that for which he sends it forth. We are people who are supposed to um, use the word of God, recognizing that it is a two-edged sword piercing um, the heart to the point of the marrow, separating truth from fiction. The word of God is, a, is powerful. How are you using it today? I think that when we talk about um, the words that we use as Christians, I want us to be mindful that we are the people of truth. And there is a, it's important that we use words with accuracy, that we say what we actually mean and we mean what we say. Um, artful speech is not always accurate. And so let us be uh, concerning ourselves with speaking the truth and, yes, doing so in love Let us be as concerned with um, the welfare of the bad guys as we are with the welfare of the good guys, recognizing that each of us is characterized by good and bad on a spectrum, and that we all stand under judgment of a perfectly holy and gracious God. We all stand on equal footing, created equally as the image bearers of the living God. Please don't refer to any person or group of people as animals. They are not. They are people. He is a person. And let us be careful to avoid the temptation of speaking about current events as if we know for certain how what is happening in real time plays out in eternity. Yes, we know the end is coming. And yes, we know how it all plays out. But how this moment or one particular event in this day fits into the overarching gospel narrative, that remains a mystery known only to God. Yes, I can point to the signs. I can point to the horizon. I can point to the challenges and the signals. But I don't pretend to know where we are in terms of the nearness of the end times. All right, I have been uh, praying for the last 24 hours. Psalm 63 with a friend from Pennsylvania Um, And I would just uh, ask you to do so as well. Let us put our faith and hope and trust in the Lord, our God, and let us recognize that uh, he is sovereign and he is good. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Joining me next, Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign. Joining us now, Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign. Uh, you can find Justin at the Church Politics Podcast. You can also find him at AndCampaign. Help me out, Justin. Org. And, org. Dot org. And AndCampaign.org. Hey, good morning. Hey, Carmen. How's it going? Um. Well, 
You know, here where I live, um, the sun is up, uh, the grass is green, and um, and I expect to have access to all the things I had access to yesterday. So my world is pretty good. How about you? Gotta love it. I can't complain either. The weather is is nice and uh, getting ready for spring, so I'm there in a go. good place. So we um we're all sort of living in the midst of these very disturbing. Um, storylines emerging out of uh, Ukraine and the waves of people seeking to leave Ukraine. And one of the storylines that we have not um, talked about yet here on the program and I thought um, would be really helpful to unpack with you is the these testimonies of um, people whose skin color uh, differs from most uh, native-born Ukrainian people. So people who are in Ukraine, who live in Ukraine, who study in Ukraine, who work in Ukraine, but who are not white, um, have had a different experience seeking to leave than um, than white Ukrainians. I'm just wondering if you can talk with us about what's going on. Yeah, so my understanding of the situation is as people were fleeing, as people were really just trying to be treated uh, like other citizens of Ukraine, that a distinction distinctions were being made between white Ukrainians and uh, many of the folks who were who were black, uh, many from Africa, uh, who weren't being treated in the same way, who were being pushed to the back of lines and really just being discriminated against in the midst of all these atrocities, in the midst of what you know the world is saying. And I think to to a good part is true. The Ukrainian people showing a lot of uh, uh, courage and and fighting back and just being in a tough situation somehow. Uh, in our brokenness, there's it's there still seems to be time to uh, discriminate and, and mistreat people. It's it's an um, unfortunate circumstance, but it's uh, something that we need to be honest about in the in the midst of the the rest of the narrative. Because I feel like you're willing to be honest with me and tell me what you think, even if you it might not be exactly what I think on a matter in a moment. Um, I I just want you to sort of reflect on this. I mean, I, I think my fear is, Justin, that um, who we really are and what we really feel and think about others is most exposed when we are under tremendous stress um, and fear. And what it seems to me is happening is that some very basic racism is being exposed. Yeah, I think we have a choice. I think in these situations, it can actually bring us together, right? It could it could have been one of those situations where because there was such a big threat, it brought people together and everybody was treated the same. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think you have a point. Uh, when we are stressed out, uh, when we're in a situation that is really just scary to us, sometimes the, the worst in us comes out as well. And I think this may be one of those situations. Again, I'm not there. I can't personally confirm uh, these stories, but it looks like there may be racism in the midst of something that could be should be unifying and kind of trying to defeat a, a, a foe that is certainly in the wrong. I think that journalists have um, have found themselves challenged as well. I, I There are journalists who have, uh, you know, they have said on air, you know, these people look like my neighbors. These people look like, um, you know, my family. And those are not the same things that those same journalists said as we were watching um, atrocities and challenges unfold in Afghanistan or Syria or, you know, or as we have watched the Uyghur situation in China. This challenge of somehow feeling differently about people who look like me 
or people who look like people who live around me. There is some exposure, I think, that takes place in the midst of this. And it's healthy for Christians to be able to dispassionately say, I see that it's real and and, and it's wrong. Like in in creation at the cross and in the kingdom, um, you know, yellow, uh, red, yellow, black and white, like, right, precious in God's sight. Um, how, how can, like, how can I provoke that conversation? I think you start, I think we have to point out, we have to point it out. We have to, we have to be honest about the fact of when we feel differently about other people. And it's not, it's not situ- a situation where that's just a majority Christian issue. I think it's a, it's a Christian issue in general. When we see people who look like us, it's probably easier for us to relate. It may be easier for us to empathize, but if we're trying to be like Jesus and if we look at his walk and how he treated everyone, then we should also feel some kind of way when we don't feel the same way about folks who don't look like us. Uh, and so, you know, our quote unquote natural reaction may be not to have the same um, response, but I think we need to fight that and and have more uh, compassion for those who we don't necessarily automatically relate to in the same way. Mm-hmm. All right, we're talking with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. I'm going to just straight up ask, does race and gender actually matter when we're talking about the next justice of the Supreme Court? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we'll be right back. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run too far to still be the same. Continuing our conversation with Justin Gibney, you can find him at andcampaign.org. You can also find him at the uh, Church Politics Podcast, one of my uh, go-to um, conversations. I, I love to listen uh, to to Justin and the conversations he has with Chris Butler and um, and others as well. Justin, let's talk about uh, Katanji Jackson Brown, uh, Brown Jackson Jackson Brown. Uh oh, which direction am I? I might have my my notes might be. <sighs> See. I'm already failing. I've mispronounced her name. Um, Does it matter that the president of the United States has nominated a black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court? And if so, why? Uh, Well, let me start by saying this. Ideally, uh, it shouldn't matter. Um, If if we were who we were made to be, it wouldn't matter. But if you put this into historical context, if you put it in the context of the history of race in this country, I think it does matter. Um, representation matters in a country where when people weren't represented, they weren't treated fairly. Um, so yes, it matters. I think the number one thing is qualifications. And so it doesn't matter what color you are. If you're not qualified, you shouldn't be there. But once you have people who are qualified, I think it does benefit this country to have diversity, uh, especially when you, it comes to, you know, uh, the, 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 when the courts and things of that nature. Um, it's, in a way, it's unfortunate, but that's the reality we live in. And I think it's necessary to make sure that people not only see themselves, but are represented uh, in those spaces. Yeah, I thought that the um, the conversation that happened back in 2009 when Sonia Sotomayor was, um, uh, was nominated, the conversation then about representation, I think, is a similar one that we're having now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, people can reach back and they can pull threads forward from that conversation. I, you know, I don't personally agree with the, with the worldview, the, uh, the judicial approach of either one of these individuals, Sonia Sotomayor or 
or Katanji Brown Jackson necessarily. But that doesn't mean that um, I I think either of them uh, should be you know barred from serving on the Supreme Court. They are rightly nominated by sitting presidents, right? And that's who gets to choose. This is, it sort of falls into the elections matter um, conversation. If you um, you know if you're thinking about um, this this nomination process, um, I I think Justin that um, for me there's there's even just a little bit of um, it makes it possible for little girls in America to see someone in a position of uh, of authority and and a very accomplished woman and say oh it's possible like there's some of that. Yeah, I think there is some of that there. In fact, if you're not worried, if you've never had to worry about seeing yourself in certain positions, then that's a privilege. I mean, you, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people, it's it's hard to explain, but, uh, you know, the, the feeling that you get from telling your kids that, hey, that person looks like you and the message that they get from that uh, goes a long way. Uh, and so that that does matter, especially, again, given given our history. But the other thing that matters is, you know, um, the the ideology does matter, too. Right. So I don't want to say that the idea, you know, that the ideology doesn't matter. I think sometimes we can abuse the idea of representation by putting some and, that, and this is not necessarily for the new nominee, but by putting someone in a position that looks like a certain group, but doesn't necessarily represent that group ideologically and in, in, in other uh, areas. So you have to watch that as well. It's, it's a little more complicated. All right. So I'm wondering um, what what sort of tops the list of conversation topics um, for you today? If uh, if I had just gotten together with you for coffee this morning and you had brought the first topic of conversation, what would it be? I think it would be gas prices. Uh, a lot of <laughs> exactly. Americans are are, are are wondering what's going on with the, with the gas prices. Is this necessary? What does this mean about our uh, energy dependence on on different uh, on different folks? And what is the administration going to do uh, policy wise uh, to work on this problem? It's not a problem that I think can be fixed uh, just with one decision by uh, President Biden. But certainly, it should be something we look at uh, for future. Um, for for our future when it comes to energy. So uh, I have an 18-year-old in my home, and, you know, like the one thing she pays for herself is her gas. And so, um, you know, Jim and I, obviously, like we're paying attention to the price of gas, but when the 18-year-old brings a subject to the table and is like, hey, what's going on with gas mm-hmm. prices? Um, and that gave us an opportunity to talk about energy and energy policy and government and what, you know, I mean, it was a, it, it's, it is very, very interesting um, where a conversation about gas prices can take us. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. It's, it's real practical stuff. It's, 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 it's something that, that you have to deal with every day and certainly hits your pocketbooks directly. So I get it. Yeah, this is, this is the all economics are home economics and nothing probably changes, fluctuates, and therefore impacts us um, as quickly, uh, just across the board, doesn't matter who you are, um, as energy prices, uh, in, certainly including gas. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hey, brother, thank you um, so much, as always. Um, great to talk with you. Um, blessings on what you're doing at uh, the AND campaign and um, and on the Church Politics podcast. You guys, uh, check check both of them out. You can... Um, you can find Justin at andcampaign.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio.
When you think about the conversations we have here on Mornings with Carmen, you ever think to yourself, you know, it'd be really great to get together with other people, like actually physically in, you know, in the presence of one another and talk about things like hospitality or concern um, as neighbors for what's happening in education or, I mean, pick your subject matter, right? Just pick, pick, pick a topic and um, imagine getting together and talking about it. Maybe hospitality. What does it look like to show hospitality? What does it look like to, le- to live as people of hospitality today? How do I pay attention to what's going on locally and not just nationally or globally? Like, like how do I do those things? How do I have those conversations? There's actually a movement afoot. The movement is the Lyceum Movement. Um, and it's a place for people to come together and think and learn and talk with their neighbors, exploring the deep questions um, of what's going on in the in the culture and particularly in our local communities as part of that culture. The director of the Lyceum Movement is Nathan Beacom, and he joins us next. And if you're wondering, hey, is there a Lyceum Movement group near me? Well, it depends where you live, but you could certainly start one. There's definitely one in, let's see, on the list, Des Moines. All right, we're going to have Nathan Beacom join us next. All right, when's the last time you thought of yourself not only as maybe a local archaeologist, but a local anthropologist? What does it mean to know the local history of your own place, to know the layers of history of um, of our own places? The Lyceum Movement is engaged this month in a series of conversations related to that. Uh, joining us now, Nathan Beacom, who heads up the Lyceum Movement. Nathan, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Am I saying Lyceum correctly? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Remind people, what is the um, Lyceum movement? And then um, maybe I better spell it for people. L-Y-C-E-U-M movement. L-Y-C-E-U-M movement dot O-R-G. Lyceum movement. Nathan, what is it? Yeah, the Lyceum movement is kind of a revival and readaptation of a historical movement of the same name. Uh, it was started in the 19th century by a farmer to try to bring big ideas to places that were not just inside university walls or uh, Washington, D.C. And it consisted of these community halls across the country. There are more than 3,000 of them uh, at its height. And these were just the places where a community could come together and think about big things together. Um, and so if there was an important idea to share in that time, you shared it at the Lyceum. Frederick Douglass spoke at Lyceums, Abraham Lincoln, Mark Twain. Um, and in time, that kind of got replaced by uh, getting your information and conversation through mass media. Um, and especially, you know, in our, in our own time through social media. And our revival of this idea is to kind of get back in person and, and back in conversing with our neighbors. So we host classes and panels and lectures and community conversations on, on art and philosophy and history and culture and all sorts of things. So I love it. Um, there are a couple of, um, of Lyceum groups that, if you're listening right now, let's say in Des Moines, 
Um, there is a Lyceum movement group in Des Moines. There's also one in, I might mispronounce this, Waseca. Waseca, yep. That's Waseca. about uh, an hour southwest of the Twin Cities. Yes, or just east of Man- Mankato, for those of you listening in Mankato this morning. Um, so tell us, um, you know, if folks want to get involved, first of all, how can they do that? And and if people are listening and they say, that sounds like such a cool thing, um, I'd love to have one of those where I am. Um, I want to start one, you know, like, let's talk about both of those, what, the ones that are going on and how to get involved, and then starting one where you are. Yeah, so Des Moines is sort of our flagship or, or the center of our our operations at this time. So if you're in Des Moines, Des Moines is the center to... of all operations. It's it is the center of the universe. It's a good, well, it's a good place. You will have no argument with me about that, but <laughs> some may differ. Um, yeah, so so we're in Des Moines. We're in Wasika, um, coming soon to Duluth, Minnesota. If you're up there, um, and uh, and Dodge City, Kansas, and and a few other places, we're looking at getting started across kind of those those three states. Um, and if you're interested in starting one, you can go to our website and you can find uh, a, a link there that will allow you to join and, and uh, get in touch with us. And uh, and uh, we can start that conversation about how to host these kinds of things in your own community. I love that. So talk with us about one that has recently taken place. Let's 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 look back at the one that you recently had in Wasika. Like what happened there? What was the conversation about? Um, because I think that it helps to take people into a recent one to understand what it might be, what it might look like for them to engage in this kind of conversation. Yeah. So each month we have a theme kind of to our discussion. And last month's theme was about hospitality and solidarity. And so it was kind of what is the role of of being hospitable or being welcoming and bringing our community together and uh, building bridges across differences um, and kind of feeling like we're, we're united or one thing as a community. Um, and so in Wasika, um, for instance, we had uh, a couple of speakers, one who was kind of a um, community leader in Owatonna, which is a nearby town, and another one who was the owner of the Chinese restaurant in town. And uh, she's a woman who was born in China and uh, had come to this rural Minnesota community, and everybody there knows her Chinese food, but not everybody knows her story. And so that was an opportunity for the community to hear a different kind of experience about what it's like to, to come from a place like China and, and be dropped in a place like rural Minnesota um, and to get a new perspective on, on, you know, is the community hospitable? Is it welcoming? Where is it strong? Where could it grow? And then people have a chance to reflect and talk to each other about those things. And we find that people are really kind of hungry to have the opportunity to get up from behind their computer screens or whatever and actually sit down with their neighbors and talk about those those really reflective questions about the community. I think part of this, um, Nathan, is just getting the conversation started and having a context um, where we can say out loud, I, I don't even quite know the question to ask, but I'd love to know your story. Um, and how have you experienced this community as either being hospitable or maybe not? Like, where can we grow? I think those are questions we all want to have answered, but we we are really hesitant to ask them of people in our community because we don't want to offend anyone. Um, we don't want to 
try to launch ourselves into a conversation that somebody else doesn't want to have. And so I appreciate that what you're doing is you're creating an environment where everybody who shows up, you know, right, we want to have these conversations. We want to be finding out more about one another and what our neighbors actually think um, and are experiencing. And I love the um, the sharing of the personal story. That's the theme for March, um, knowing the story of your place. I, I think this is a great, um, really provocative conversation, particularly in a part of the country where one layer of that is going to be a native conversation, I assume. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and this theme is kind of centered around the idea that we have kind of heated debates about what how to interpret the story of our national history or, or even broader stories about our global history. But not as many of us know the particular story of the place where we live. Um, but that story might be the one that's really closest and most relevant to us. So uh, this theme is kind of an opportunity to do that and then to hear from speakers in the community who know that story. Um, and that story, like you said, is multi-layered. Part of the history of our communities is recent immigrants and refugees. Uh, further back, maybe immigrants from Europe who came and started farms. And then further back still to uh, Native people who lived here before any settlers. And so those are all chapters that matter and that influence the way our communities are today. And so uh, to understand them is important to carrying out, you know, whatever questions we have about our community today. Um, and then also, I think it's important or, or kind of the idea with this theme is that uh, being able to remember together the story of our own place gives us a sense of a shared story. And that gives us a sense of a shared identity, whatever other differences we might have, we all kind of belong to this place with a story and a history uh, that we can remember and tell one another. And, and that can be a force for kind of the, the common good of the community too, to feel like we are in it together, we've come from a common place in some way, and we are uh, therefore kind of responsible for the community we're in today. That's really helpful. We're talking with Nathan Beacom from the Lyceum Movement. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio, and we'll be right back. I can only imagine when that day comes. We're talking with Nathan Beacom from the Lyceum Movement. You can check it out at lyceummovement.org. Nathan, I'm wondering if you can give us a little coaching here um, on even just in our own personal relationships with our neighbors, like how to get a conversation started on um, on a big topic or theme, and maybe it is as simple as asking my neighbor to tell me the story of how they got to this place. Yeah, yeah, I think that could definitely be it. And those are some of the some of the things we try to encourage uh, through the way we set up our conversations. Um, also, another thing that kind of comes out of our conversations is is at the end of of these uh, events, usually we end with kind of a commission that somebody from the community will present as uh, sort of a challenge to go forth and do something to implement. Um, and a lot of times those commissions have to do with kind of starting those conversations or forming those relationships. And so as it is right now, um, you know, there's a lot of data and we just talk to our neighbors less than we ever have. And we have people over uh, less and uh, we're not members of organizations as much as we used to be and all these kinds of things that that we kind of are losing some of those important connections. And so I think the starting point is uh, just to kind of make an intentional effort to reach out and start to form a relationship. Um, 
And that could even be something very practical, like helping, uh, asking for help with your lawn or with a chore or whatever, because I think the trust begins when um, people are engaged in something in common together. Um, and when that relationship and familiarity comes and the trust comes, I think those conversations have an opportunity to arise too. Um, as far as kind of the content of the conversations or how, how to have these bigger conversations, I think it's important to try to look deeper than the hot button issues um, that, that just might bring up walls today and to look uh, towards, like you suggested, stories and to ask people about their own history and their own experience of the community and their family story. Um, and then kind of the, the more philosophical questions, too, that are deeper than our hot button issues um, what do you think about fairness? What do you think fairness means? What do you think hospitality or welcome means? And why does it matter to us to feel that kind of experience? Um, so yeah, those are a few things I would say is just kind of building trust, um, uh, listening to stories and, and trying to go deeper than, uh, kind of the, the soundbite level. I like that, um, big conversations and, the uh, opportunity to have big conversations is actually dependent on our ability uh, and experience of having small conversations. I think we have really devalued small talk. I know I have, right? I, I, don't, I don't like small talk. I, I want to have big talk. But you can't have big talk if you don't have small talk. Right. And I think, I think um, we, we might think of small talk as just kind of filling time, but I think where it's valuable is when you're engaged in something in common. So um, you have something to talk about if you have a shared experience. So that could be a community project. It could be uh, fixing the potholes in your neighborhood uh, or community garden or whatever it is, something at church that, that brings you into a common space. That gives you a place to start having those, those small incidental conversations that over time kind of build some trust and understanding and familiarity, I think. Yeah, maybe we could refer to that as like redeeming or redemptive small talk. It's not small talk yeah, about nothing. Like it is small talk about something. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think it's a substantive small talk that, yeah, can be a road to, to more deeper relationship. Yeah, I mean, if I don't even know your name, it's it's hard to imagine you're going to want to uh, talk with me about big things, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the same thing with knowing something about your story, um, because uh, to, to be able to talk to each other and not past each other, I think, requires that we have an understanding of where the other person is coming from, too. So um, that all requires more of a sustained kind of relationship than you can find on uh, your social media encounters, which might just be one and done um, or or any of those instances where where we kind of see the unhealthy ways that we talk today. All right, we got uh, we got people texting in um, some of their local ideas. You you probably have heard some of these, um, Nathan. But you know this is a community effort here. So Tammy is sharing with us that uh, they host neighborhood potlucks uh, in the fall, where people bring um, you know like their own ethnic food to share. Um, that leads to good conversations. They also periodically put notes in their neighbor's mailboxes to encourage them. Um, I'm not sure if we're allowed to do that. So maybe tuck them under their windshield wiper or stick them in their door. Yeah. Drop something off on their porch 
I'm not sure we're supposed to be sticking things in people's mailbox. I don't know. I don't know. Am I allowed to do that? I don't know. I have to ask the postal service. I'll ask my post postal person whether or not I am allowed to use the boxes on my road that way. Um, but I get the I get the sentiment. I get the idea. I like the idea here of um, uh, somebody is having uh, has a leftovers party um, where everybody just brings their leftovers from Thanksgiving, and that's what they do on Friday in their uh, on their street in their neighborhood. Um, I have a, an advocacy here for just having friends giving events. Um, with groups of people from time to time. So I, there are folks out there trying, doing their best. Um, uh, somebody here saying, hey, we do better angels in our community. That's sort of a, a red, intentionally red and blue conversational effort. So folks are on it. Oh, wait, right here. I got another one. Kim says we do a quarterly morning breakfast um, and you have to come in your pajamas. Wow. <laughs> That's dangerous. That's like seriously dangerous. All right. I know some people. I don't want to see them in their pajamas. Okay. But oh, I, I, I digress. Okay. So, um, Nathan, I think people want to get together and they want to be talking about big things, deep things, real things. And so thank you for the inspiration of this uh, particular movement, the Lyceum Movement. You guys can uh, meet Nathan and check out what's happening in the Lyceum Movement at Lyceum Movement, L-Y-C-E-U-M, Lyceum Movement, dot O-R-G. If you live in Des Moines or you live anywhere near Wasika, so maybe you're in Mankato, maybe you're in the southern part of the Twin Cities, um, there are events in both of those communities later this month. Um, and, you know, I'm sure Nathan would be more than happy to help you get one going right where you are. So, uh, so again, check it out, lyceummovement.org. Nathan, thank you, as always, so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Carmen. Absolutely, absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Lots of input on the mailbox thing. Uh, no, don't put anything in people's mailboxes. Let's see. Uh, we got uh, David in North Dakota. No, no, only postal workers and homeowners are allowed to use the mailboxes. Ooh, he's a postal clerk, so David knows. That's the truth. You find a different way to drop your little notes off to your neighbors than using those mailboxes. Those mailboxes really belong to the Postal Service. I mean, you think it's yours, but it's it's the homeowners and the Postal Service. That's it. Okay, there you go. You know, we want good information, accurate. I got all my fact checkers out there. Thank you, David, for being among them today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. We'll be right back. Carmen LaBerge, you're listening to Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. I don't know whether or not to be encouraged or have my feelings hurt. There are those who are now saying that is the most important information they have ever gotten from me. The information about the use of the post box, the mailbox. Yeah. Well, now everybody knows. Apparently, only the Postal Service people and the homeowner are allowed to open up that box. You can't just stick something in someone else's box. Obviously, you know you can't take something out of someone else's box. Like, right, you knew that already. Okay. Can't put stuff in there either. Walk to the door, put it on there. Like, right? It's not a ring and run situation. You could tie it to their doorknob. You could tuck it in the in the little crease of their door. You can't put it in their mailbox. That's what I know about that. Okay, uh, I am reading the Chirons uh, across my screen right now, so you don't have to. It does look as if President Biden is expected to ban 
Russian energy imports. Congress is taking it up as well. Um, you can uh, have the expectation that that will mean for at least some period of time gas prices will rise further. I know that that is, you're not receiving that as good news, but uh, each each of us is going to certainly be um, dealing with uh, the challenges related to Russia's invasion and ongoing now war in Ukraine. Um, let's see. Uh, the, the pictures, the images are going to continue to be devastating um, because the death of civilians is rising. Ukraine is saying right now that Russian airstrikes have killed 21 civilians just today. Um, and all of that is going on. And, and, and then there's this, like, right, we should be, we should be um, celebrating the sort of like end of COVID. Like it, it, COVID is pretty much done. I mean, it may not be completely done where you are, depending on exactly where you live. But nationwide, like the conversation is, you know, we're kind of over it. Like it, literally, we're, we've been over it for a long time, but we're like over it, over it. Um, we have moved from pandemic to endemic. It's just going to be this low-grade part of, uh, of the way we live with the common cold. Um, we're going to live with COVID now in the same way. Um, but there's no opportunity really to celebrate that because just like Abigail shared earlier, you feel kind of guilty being very celebratory. But let me just say this. Um, people in Ukraine still getting married. Babies in Ukraine still being born. People in Ukraine still celebrating birthdays. Um, life goes on. And we want to be people who live life to the fullest every moment with an absolute sober awareness of the realities um, going on around us uh, and with deep, deep concern and compassion for people in all kinds of situations of brokenness, suffering, and need. Yes, um, Ukraine among those concerns, but certainly um, our concern not not limited um, there uh, at all. Um, lots of concern being raised uh, from folks texting in today about children, about pregnant women, about moms, about separated families, about older adults, about the disabled. You guys are asking really good questions. Um, and so um, I will find out the answers to some of those. I definitely know we'll have uh, the guy back on from Lifeline um, Children's Services because that is of particular concern to many of you. Um, and yes, we will have General John Bradley back on for those of you asking about the ongoing challenges for people in Afghanistan. So uh, we'll be right back here tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.